Psalms 27, verses 13 and 14. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Good morning, church. <laughs> Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, we're going to try the wireless mic. We think we've made some adjustments, so hopefully we don't get as much feedback as the last time we gave it a shot. So here we go. I want to start with an announcement. Well, first of all, a comment. Uh, we're developing new, uh, uh, a new phrase around uh, KCC now. That was called a rebel prayer, all right? All in favor of a rebel servant? Uh, that's what I thought. Uh, not too long ago. I was um, in one of my favorite restaurants here in town, Jalisco's, right there on Junction. There may be a couple of them. It's the one that's on the left as you're going toward Ingram, uh, the Junction Highway out there. And I saw this little boy that absolutely just um, made me smile. This is what the shirt, he was wearing the shirt, if I can get it to work. I was totally worth the wait. <laughs> I've never seen that shirt before. Maybe you've seen that on a baby, but I guarantee you watching that little toddler up and down that uh, restaurant uh, proved everything about that shirt was true. Uh, what, a, what a wonder on two wheels. Uh, Greg's birthday is coming up this month in August, next month in August, so we're going to be looking for one of those. So as you see that on Amazon, you know, we want to get that for him. What is it in your lifetime that you've experienced that you had to wait a great deal of time for. But when it finally came through or true in your life, you said these words. It was totally worth the wait. It was totally worth the wait. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, one of the things that you and I have in common is that we have been asked to spend some time in the weight room of life. Whether it's connected to a promise made by a parent or maybe an employer or, or something that is attached to um, a qualifying age like maybe drying, driving at a certain time or um, um, retiring at a certain age. Or maybe it's just a desire deep within your own heart that nobody else knows about. And you're just hoping and you're waiting for it to come true in your life. What is it that you've experienced so far that you can say without a shadow of a doubt it was totally worth the wait? Well, if you're interested in growing in faith as this particular series is pointing us to the how-to of growing a seed of faith into faith, then this morning I'm going to ask you to, to look into the second half of a lesson that we're looking at in the life of Abraham through those faces of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But before we get there, I want to ask us to stop and pray. Father, draw us deeper, Lord, uh, to you, please. And Father, we invite you through um, this time of teaching. Would you please speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, uh, equip us with what we need to uh, truly not just be with you, but to grow deeper in you. We realize we're not the only church whose heart is, um, is full with that desire. 
This morning we want to lift up St. Peter's Episcopal Church who are, is in the midst of a transition now. As Stockton leaves and a new minister is called, would you please bless that church? Bring someone who can continue uh, with the desire to see your entire body of Christ come together and act as one. To together draw deeper, Lord, into you. But right now we ask you to come and be with us in this time of teaching. Spirit, don't let us leave here the same as when we walked in. Grow us and shape us more to the image of your son. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen. God must believe faith is better caught than taught. Because he saturates his word with stories of men and women who walked by faith. And stories really do have an impact on us. Both on our minds and our hearts. They change us. I think that's probably why Jesus used so many of them when he walked on this little orb we call earth. Remember his parables? He spoke often in them. And sometimes he spoke exclusively through them to certain audiences. Well, he learned that powerful use of story from his dad. When God wanted to tell us how creation came into being, he tells a story. He didn't present a research paper. He tells a story. When God wants to tell how sin originated in the world, he tells a story about a devil of a snake and the naivety of the first man and the first woman. When he wants us to see what sin looks like, when it goes unchecked in a world, he tells a story of Noah, which we hopefully will look at next week. God is a God who knows where. God is a God, I hope for us to see this week, who knows when. And he knows how. And he finishes the rest of Abraham's story by helping us to see in this particular gentleman's life that faith is often caught rather than taught. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, we read last week that God comes to Abraham out of the blue and he asks him a, a question that I'm not sure any of us have quite heard in quite the same way. Uh, Jimmy, I'd like for you to just um, go. Would you go with me? Well, well, where, God? Well, just go. And we saw last week that Abraham responds, and in faith, he does go. And it's not just that he, he doesn't know anything about where he's going. He's saying, I'm going to make of you a nation that will be a tremendous blessing, but will also be a blessing to other people. It will be blessed, but will also be a blessing. That's what I'm promising you. And Abraham says, count me in. And we begin to see that this ordinary guy must have extraordinary faith when he literally he leaves his family and his friends and everything familiar, and he goes. He takes his brother Lottie, takes his wife Sarah and his favorite camel, and they all head out from a place called Ur. And hopefully from this message, we took home with us that if we're going to be a people of faith, God sometimes is going to ask of us to travel journeys we would never choose for ourselves. If you say yes to God with where he invites you to go in your marriage, in your career, in your life as a follower of Christ with a church, uh, in your work with the worship team, in your work with children's ministry, if you invite God to lead you, most often he's going to lead you to journeys you would have never chosen for yourself. Abraham demonstrates perfectly. No, you know better than that if you've read any of the story of Abraham. Abraham demonstrates passionately. That when you say yes to God, you're going to spend some time in the waiting room. Abraham says yes to God in Genesis 12 and verse 4. And interestingly, the Bible tends, tends it, it, it labels for us his age. 
That's not normal. Very often when God's telling his story, he, he didn't tell us how old a certain person is at a certain age, but he makes sure that when, when Abraham says, yes, I'll follow you, he says, do you know that Abraham was 75 years old at the time? Now, Scripture records <laughs> how old he is when God begins to turn this man without, who's 75 years old and this man without a child into a nation, and he does so in a place called Romans chapter 4 and verse 19. But before he does, everything in Abraham's life have you ever seen a graph like this and heard the phrase, it's up and to the right? Everything in Abraham's life is going well. His investments are going well. His um, dealing with enemies is going well. His relationships with his family is going well. God leads him through a great famine, successful. God leads him through the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, successful. Everything is going up and to the right. But one thing is not doing so well. You, you said, I wouldn't just be a great man, Lord. You said I would be a great nation. But God comes to him one night, and he says in Scripture, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham says to him, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood. I found where I am in my notes. Thank you. I know you knew I got a little bit lost, and I was trying to find my way, but I found out where we are near. Um, God loves us. Amen. No. This is huge. Everything is up and to the right in Abraham's life, family, finances, everything, but but what about this promise of a son? I don't want to just be a great man. You said you'd give me a nation, and I don't have a son. And God comes to him and he says, but I want to tell you, you will have a son. But when? Well, step outside, let me show you the stars. No, Lord, but when? Well, step outside, let me have you count the stars. Well, I can't count them. Well, that's how many, but When? Well, interestingly enough, you have to fast forward to the New Testament and you find Romans chapter 4 and verse 19. When Paul is telling this story about Abraham and how the entire nation of faith got started in the first place, and he says, do you know when Abraham hears about all these stars and says your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky? It happened when he was 100 years old. Now, let me take you to the math. 75 years old, Abraham's asked to walk off the face of the map and God's going to begin a nation through him. 100 years old. And God invites him out to count the stars, and he hasn't had a child yet. 75 from 100 equals 25. 25 years when God promised that he would make a nation out of this man and his family, and he hasn't. 25 years to wait on a promise. That one just stuns me. 25 years in the weight room waiting on what you said would happen to happen. 
Some of you are there right now. You have fasted, you have counseled, you have studied his word, and as clearly as you've ever sensed God saying, I need for you to, you feel like he's led you to, and you did. You stepped out in faith and you forgave, hoping to see repentance. But you haven't seen any changes in your mate at all, and it's been years. You went forward hoping that the bitterness would be gone from that event that took place with you and your employer, but the grr is still in your gut. And it's been years. You put your faith in God hoping that this would be the year your children came to Christ. But it's been years. You put your hope in God that the house would sell. You put your hope in God that this time the surgery would work. You put your hope in God that this time the pregnancy would go to full term. But it's not happened. It's been years. And Satan is right there like he always is with the salt of discouragement placed deeply in the wound of God's inaction. At least it seems that way. You've heard Satan's taunts, haven't you? God didn't care about you. Who are you anyways? He's not going to deliver his promise. He's not going to keep his word. I've heard those thoughts. I've been discouraged by those thoughts. And I don't know about you, but I need the truth of Scripture to remind me that when God operates in this world, it involves some time in this place, the weight room. And I don't know how you spell that in your life. The, the four walls of the waiting room, you're, you're sitting there. I don't know when this is going to take place, but I don't know where else to go. Or whether it's the weight room and, and God's asking you to lift it one more day. It's going to happen, trust me. It's going to happen, trust me. I don't know how you spell wait for you. But it's brutal. It can be crushing. Ask David. God comes to David and he promises that you're going to be king. David says, great. And then he's out running for his life in caves and avoiding the sitting king Saul for over, listen to this, 10 years. And during that time, the opportunity to murder Saul is dropped literally right in his lap. Right in his lap. And David could have taken matters into his own hands, but he knows to do so would, would be disobedient to God and dishonoring to the king. And so he tells his men, no, we wait. And in due time, does, God does bring him to be king, but man, nobody likes being in the weight room. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the disciples to go into Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit there. And he sends them back into a city where he was assassinated. How would you like to be some of those cops this week who have to go back on duty in, in Dallas? Jesus sends his followers back on duty in Jerusalem to wait for this Holy Spirit that's going to come to empower them for their own mission in this world. And they go. And they wait not one day, not two days, but they wait 40 days. But it felt like a lifetime. Now, church, I needed to be reminded that often God's kingdom agenda, God's kingdom ways involve some time spent in the wait room. And I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to wait. It's hard, and for a lot of reasons. But I think most of us in here who've done some parenting at all understand waiting is essential in growing up a child. Amen? If you've done any parenting at all, you know that to mature them into the adult they need to be is going to require some waiting, some time that they spend in intentional wait rooms. When Gail and I first had Lauren, we had had our eye on some people. We didn't have our child until the first, after seven years of our marriage. But we had been watching folks 
all throughout that time that we were married, looking for those that we wanted to follow some examples. And one of the examples that one of the couples taught us was to put some milestones in your children's life for which they intentionally have to wait on. And hopefully they will see the purpose and the joy in waiting, and then there will be some things outside your supervision that you're encouraging them to wait on that they'll wait for as well. Well, we tried that with several things. One of the things we did was when our child was born, uh, when Lauren was born, we didn't pierce her ears. We also didn't pierce tablets. We said, here's what we'll do. We'll put the milestone at age 13 where they can decide to pierce their own ears if they want to. And we'll make that kind of a rite of passage. Well, to get there, we also did a couple of little things along the way. It's not just big milestone things, but like, give you for instance, cartoons. And in the sportsman household, cartoons weren't an everyday thing. We kept those for Saturday. And they could watch several hours worth on Saturday, but from Sunday through Friday, no cartoons at our house. Now, do you think that there was ever any wailing that went on because we couldn't let our kids watch cartoons? Sure. Neither could they have sweet cereal until Saturday, all right? I'm told it was brutal being a sportsman. Brutal. No cartoons, no sweet cereal all during the week. But do you know what Friday nights were like at the sportsman household? Christmas Eve. And you know what our girls' prayers were like? They were not about missionaries. It was not about the children's ministry of the poor. It was Coco Ruse and Ariel. Oh, God, thank you for Power Rangers and Golden Grams. And we got to experience early on in the raising of our kids what postponed joy could be like and how important that is to raising up a child as Greg prayed a few moments ago, to stand on their own. When we got to age 13, it was time to pierce Lauren's ear for the very first time. And it was an incredible day. But I want to tell you this, the days leading up to it, while they were in their own weight room getting their ears pierced, were not so incredible. When our girls first went to school in the first grade, you're not going to know, every female in first grade had their ears pierced. Every one of them, we were told. Everybody has their ears pierced. We're not happy to wait on getting their ears pierced when they were six, nor when they were eight, nor when they were 10, nor when they were 12. What were your kids doing? What did y'all do on your kid's 13th birthday? I hope they can tell you, or at least one of those other significant birthdays, but our girls can tell you, we got our ears pierced. And it was kind of a rite of passage from moving from a child to, to becoming a young woman. And I don't know how you do that in your home, but I hope you do that, parents. That you have these things that you postpone joy in and fun in and privilege in that they get to enjoy along the way because there's going to come some things that, that they need to wait on outside of your supervision that you're going to also want them to know that joy is connected to when that thing finally shows up, it's really good. And so there's a process for all of us in spending some time in the weight room. Now, we think that works great for kids, right? But not for God's kids. Us. We don't think too much of having to spend some time in the weight room. But God does. And that's why he'll say in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, They that wait upon the Lord will find new strength. And they will mount up on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not faint. Now I want you to notice something. The scripture says those who wait on the Lord are going to find strength in that waiting. Not when they finally get what they want. And that's true. We've seen it, we've experienced it in our own lives, and so have you. 
Now, the word actually in the Hebrew is the word kaval, which means to have patience with, with expectancy. The NIV translates it hope. Those that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Well, it's, it's an interesting word here. It actually comes from a word that means to bind together, literally. But its meaning is to have patience with expected hope. Man, when you tie yourself, when you bind yourself to the one who makes galaxies with a word, when you bind yourself to the one who speaks and a storm becomes a glassy lake or sea, when you tie yourself to the one who can say, get out of there, and here comes Lazarus, I'm telling you strength comes. Not just when you get what you want, but during the journey. And God is saying, I'm asking you to trust me on this one. I'm asking you to, to stay close with me on this one. When you're in that waiting room, this is not just passive twiddling your thumbs or, or killing time. No, no, we're cavalling here. Well, how do you do that? Well, can I show you how the king did who was waiting to become king, David? One of the things he often did was, was pray. And one of the things he often did was sing. And sometimes he even put them together in one song. Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and for you I wait all day long. That's just song number 25. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. For him. That's one of David's songs. That's one of David's prayers that he puts in God's story. Or God puts in his story. So that sometimes when you don't know what to pray, when you don't know what to sing, you sing some of those. That's Kaval. That's binding yourself to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and waiting patiently on him. Now, Abraham teaches us 25 years. 25 years he's waiting for this promise to begin a nation to actually take place. He teaches us sometimes whenever you walk in faith with God, sorry, but you're going to wait. But he's a God who knows when. He's a God who knows when. And he's a God, lastly, who knows how. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some things I don't know how to do. I don't know how to do a Rubik's Cube. Anybody here know how to do one? Okay, there's one. You're my hero. And I want to see you do it after services, all right? We're going to see if you actually know what you're doing. I don't know how to do it, but I can guarantee this. No one's going to raise their hand on this one. How do you balance a $20 trillion budget when you're $20 trillion in debt? How do you do that? You can't even get out of debt when you've got a couple of thousand on your credit card. How are we going to get out of $20 trillion in debt in America? I don't know. How in the world do you perform open-heart surgery? How in the world do you split a DNA molecule? How in the world do you compute mathematical equations for gravity? Some of you may know some people who know how to do that. But I know a God who knows how to do all of that. Rubik's cubes, balancing $20 trillion budgets, open heart surgery, DNA, nothing for him. Nothing for him. And you know what's also nothing? How you help a marriage get over an affair. How you help two brothers who can't see past this doctrinal issue not only get past it, but work together to share their faith with other people around the globe. I know a God who knows how to do all of that. 
Here's what Jesus promises. What is impossible with any man is totally possible with God. I was totally worth the wait. I don't know what it is that you're putting your hope in, friend, and you may not know how in the world it's ever going to be done, but I know a God who works the impossible. He knows how. <laughs> Scripture doesn't tell us much about Abraham and his abilities. It seems to underscore his disabilities. He's old to start with when he begins, and I'm sorry if, you, if I, 75 seems old, but he was older to start with. And Sarai, his wife, had never had a child. And that's what we hear about this couple as they come on the scene. And I know that it had to have the angels scratching their heads going, really? Can you imagine the picture of this? God walks into the angel meeting room and they're kind of getting ready for their assignments of the week. And God announces for the first time, we're going to take a major step today in redeeming process of all mankind. And it's going to start with birthing a nation through a couple that I've just selected. Well, I can just see some of the angels going, I know who he's going to pick. And they were thinking of a couple who was vibrant and young and both were marathoners and, and in great shape and had several healthy, sharp kids already. And God says, guess who it's going to be? And they do. She says, nope, 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 nope. Abram and Sarai. And they're thinking, this is your first round draft choice. Really? The couple with the walkers. <laughs> Come on, God. Really? Yes. Now, I know. I know you can see nothing but inability here, but listen, they trust in my total ability. They said yes, and so we're taken off. It's amazing to me as I read through Scripture over and over and over again, I see this pattern of God selecting people who have tremendous limitations more so than tremendous abilities. You remember this. Abraham and Sarah are childless. Isaac, insecure. Leah is unattractive. Joseph does time in jail. Moses stuttered. Gideon was fearful. Samson was proud. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Naomi was a penniless widow. Mary was a teenager. John the Baptist was eccentric and demanding. Peter was impulsive. The Samaritan woman had five failed marriages. Thomas had his doubts. Timothy was timid. Paul had his health issues. And in all of those people, God says, I could use you to tell my story if you're in. And if any of those folks that I've just listed was on American Idol, they don't make it to round one in Hollywood. If any one of those that I've just listed is, is on the voice, none of them turn their chairs around to hear them sing. And I think it's a fair question to ask, then why in the world use them? Why use an elderly and fertile couple to populate a nation? Why does God tap these imperfect misfits as key role players in his story? And here's the reason Scripture says over and over again, because none of them are capable of stealing his show. He does so for his glory. God's strength is never lost on these misfits' weaknesses. And there is no wondering where these ragamuffin characters are going to get their abilities and wisdom and courage. It comes from God. And every one of you think, at some point, I'm too old. I've made too many mistakes. I don't have the talents needed or the resources. 
And I'm going to wrap this sermon by just reminding you, please quit looking at you and look at God. That's what Abraham's trying to teach us. Please quit looking at what you don't have and start looking at all he is. It makes all the difference in the world. And I think this message is especially for those of us who feel like I'm in the no way camp. No way he uses me. No way he needs me. No way he overcomes the messes that I've made in my life. And God says, wait a minute. Well, maybe a week. Maybe a month. But wait a minute. Maybe a year. Wait a minute. Maybe two. Maybe three. But you watch what I can do in and through you. Now, I would hate for anybody in this room that it was 25 years. Really? That you waited on what you had your hopes set on? But sometimes it is. There's three truths I want you to walk away with today's lesson. The first is this. We serve a God who knows where. That was from last week. We serve a God who knows when. And we also serve a God who knows how. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she was considered, she considered him faithful, who made the promise. And so from this one man, and him as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars, just like he promised, and as countless as the sand on the seashore, just like he promised. Not in the time frame that they had hoped, but just as he had promised. At 99 years old, Abraham's walking down the streets of Canaan, and he's telling everybody, I'm going to be a daddy. That's Genesis 50. I'm going to be a dad. And you know what everybody's saying? Who's heard about his checkup? We read it a few moments ago. There, I've underlined it in black. We heard about your checkup, as good as dead. Doesn't look good, Abe. No, I'm going to be a daddy. Seriously. Seriously. And God, last night, he talked to us again. And he told me, I want to change your name. I'm going to change your name from Abraham to Abraham. I'm going to change your wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. Now, we have to have that translated. They didn't. <laughs> as soon as they heard it, they went, ah! Are you kidding me? You're almost 100 years old. Sarah's never had a child. Please, have Sarai hide your flask, all right? But nobody's laughing when nine months from then, Sarah is purchasing a used crib at Habib's garage sale. Nobody's laughing because he's a God who knows how, even when we don't know how. And he's a God who gives us a new name to prove that he knows how. Oh, friends, so much of our story is going to be tied to one simple question. Do you believe God? Over and over in your walk with him, he's going to be asked us, do you believe me? Do you trust me? Not if. But when, sometime in your life, you're going to spend some time in the waiting room when he invites you into something that he doesn't deliver it on for a while. And I don't know what it's going to be, whether it be a job or a pregnancy or a scholarship or seeing your child come to Christ. I don't know. But it's not going to be if, but when he invites you. And he's going to ask, do you believe me? Do you believe I can pull this off? When I want to, when it's best, how it's best, do you believe? Romans 8 and verse 28, we quote all the time, God is working it all out for good for those who are called according to his purpose and who are following his plan. Do you believe him? God's hoping that we will. He's hoping that we'll believe in him that it's really better to give than to receive. He's hoping that we'll believe that a lie isn't near as good, no matter how much it costs you in the moment, is the truth. 
He hoping, he's hoping that we believe sex is the appropriate place for that. That's in a marriage. Not just whenever you feel like it. It's better to be the servant of all than to be the Lord over anybody. All those things he, he teaches us and he asks of us. And he says, will you believe me that that's the way to live? And then he hopes that we'll respond, yes, we believe. And we will wait on you when necessary. Just as Abraham's faith saved him, it will save you. Here's the last scripture I want to read this morning, and then we'll wrap this thing up. I don't know what all has run through your mind this morning, what all you walked in this door with, what struggles that you're dealing with, that you've set your hopes on God to deliver. But here's the one thing that really is the baseline for all that we're talking about today. I don't know if the job's going to come. I don't know if that ideal mate's going to come. I don't know if that house that you've always dreamed of is going to come. I don't know if fill in the blank is going to come. But I know this. What matters more than all of that stuff is that you believe in him. That you believe in what he's done through Jesus Christ and his cross and the resurrection. That that's where you put your hope and your trust above all things. And all these other stories that we've read about, about giants that fall and about walls that fall down. And about seas that open up is to prove that God is able. He knows how to save you. And it all points to the one event in which Jesus comes to this earth and he gets on a cross and he dies for you. And he is resurrected for you. And God says, that, that means I have the power to save you. It's not up to you. It's up to me. Trust in that. See if you don't hear this in this Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That didn't make sense to the world. My salvation rests on trusting in what he did over what I do. That didn't make sense. That's why every other religion other than Christianity is based on works righteousness. Yours is based on grace through faith righteousness. And that doesn't make sense to the world. No, how I, how I perform is, is how I ought to be blessed. If I mess it up, then I'll, I'll clean it up. God says, you can't clean up a human life. That's why my son had to come into this world and die on the cross. That's why I had to raise him up. Because I know how to save a human being. And so what I'm hoping with all my heart is that's where you put the basis of your trust. That all the other stuff that he, he proves faithfully along the way leads you to this one. God knows how to save a human life. He does. I saw one other t-shirt that I'm going to wrap with. This one I just saw a couple of weeks ago, and it was on a lady. I didn't go talk to the child about the T-shirt he was wearing, and I certainly didn't go talk to a lady who didn't know me about the T-shirt she was wearing. But I can't tell you how much I appreciated it because it was a lady who was waiting, waiting on someone that I'm assuming probably was her husband. From the T-shirt and what I saw, probably that her husband was a soldier and that he was away, and she was waiting for him to come back home. 
Now, I, I filled in the blanks on that, but you see, if you fill in the blanks when you see this T-shirt, this is what she was wearing. Stay strong. He's worth the wait. You think that might apply to a soldier who's across the world, serving a country, risking his life, and her not knowing if or when he's going to come back? Can I say this as we close? He's worth the wait. Wanting a home? <laughs> when he comes home, when he comes back, you talk about a home. Wanting a better body? Oh, when he comes back, you want to talk about a body. You want a relationship? When he comes back, you want to talk about a relationship. You want, you want to know somebody with celebrity status who knows your name? When he comes back, let's talk about celebrity status. Oh, he will be worth the wait. But it may mean some waiting. I don't know when he's going to come back. But I trust him. Father in heaven, as we come to the end of the service and we stand to sing how great you are, we're going to fix our eyes on you, not on, on what we're struggling with, not on what we've, what we've failed at this week, not on what we've, we just don't seem like we've got the resources to pull off. We're going to put our eyes on you. And as we do that, as we sing in faith, as we caval, as we wait expectantly, not just twiddling our thumbs, but, but praising you and focusing on you, would you please renew some strength this morning? Father, would you help someone who, who needs an arm around them to pray over their specific needs and their specific dreams? Would you move them to the back or to the front so that we can surround them with love and surround them with prayer? And if you brought someone here today who is tired and worn out of doing it on their own, but they're ready to enlist you as Savior and King of their lives, would you bring them up to talk to me about being baptized into Christ as Cassidy was last week? You are a great God. We trust you. And we will wait because we believe you're worth it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. If we can minister to you in any way, we're going to have elders at the back. I'll be down here at the front. Come while we stand and while we sing.